Once again, at Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, the word of the Lord says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hakaroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we approach Exodus 14 and and touch on these first few verses, I want us to realize that what's happening right here in our sermon series is very much like the end of a sports basketball movie. Okay, this is this is the moment where you made the last second shot and they come down from their jump shot and the ball's just floating through the air. And so what should be just split seconds in real time, in movie time, it, it takes a good 10, 15 minutes. I mean, honestly, if we're, if we're honest about basketball, you can kind of ignore the first three quarters of the game and really only pay attention to the last two or three minutes. You can be behind by 50 points, and then all of a sudden it's a neck-and-neck game where they're one shot away. I don't know if that's true of every game, but every time I watch basketball, that's what seems to happen. And then you go back and you watch those replays of the buzzer beater shots, and they always put it in slow motion. The same thing is happening Right now, what happens in Exodus chapter 14, it's a very brief moment, but we're going to take some time to examine this chapter specifically for a few weeks. And so what I want you to be aware of is a lot of what we're going to look at is based out of a book by Robert J. Morgan that's called The Red Sea Rules. This book, after reading it, has flavored my perception and reading of Exodus 14 every time I read it. And so I I can't traverse the trails of Exodus 14 without those principles coming up in my heart and in my mind. Now, what's really funny is this morning, see, I was talking just like I'm talking right now and I wasn't looking down. And and I said that there was a book called The Red Sea Rules written by J.P. Morgan. And just so you all know, there is no investment company named J.P. Morgan that has put out a book called The Red Sea Rules. It's Robert J. Morgan. So if you're 
were in the first service and you're watching online now. It's Robert J. Morgan, The Red Sea Rules. It's a great book, and I encourage, if you get a chance, get a hold of it, read through it. It is extremely encouraging, but there are principles that we find in Exodus 14 that we have to slow down to catch. So that's why we looked back at verses 17 to 22, and then only at the first four verses here of chapter 14. So what's happening is God is leading them every day and every night by a beautiful pillar of smoke and a beautiful pillar of fire. So they know exactly where to go. There's no question. You just follow the smoke and then you just follow the fire. You know exactly what steps to take, but don't miss what the Lord has done. He has led them away from battle. Remember what we talked about last week. He knew they were not ready for war. He knew that if they saw the hardened Philistine army, that they would go, that's it, we're done, back to Egypt. God is taking in so many variables as he works and knows all of our reactions before we know our reactions. So God knows where he can lead us. He knows what our breaking point is. And he also knows that that breaking point is a lot further along than what we think that it is. But at this particular time, he goes, you know, I just think we're going to go the long way around through the wilderness. So Pharaoh is watching the people of Israel. Now, he didn't have a global positioning satellite. They didn't have satellite imagery where they realized that the, that the Israelites were just doing this right outside the land of Egypt. He, he had spies that had to go and report periodically and let him know that over and over again, they were just going in a circle. And God is intentionally leading them in this circle. And then he gets very specific. Did you notice they've already got a pillar of cloud? They've already got a pillar of fire. But what does it start off in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 14? The Lord speaks to Moses. The Lord says intentionally to Moses, even though you've already got a pillar of cloud, even though you've already got a pillar of fire, I want you to tell the people to turn around to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hatharoth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. Look how specific he gets. He says, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. He gets so detailed. It's not just, hey, you're going to get right here and you're going to be at the edge of the Red Sea. The Red Sea's in front of you. You're going to be near Baal-Zephon. Migdal's going to be on the side of you, all right? Pi-Hatharoth is right over here. There's only one way to exit, and that's through Pharaoh's army that will come behind them. And he says, not only do I want you to move there, I want you to face the sea. The, in, the direction that you're looking is important. So you follow the cloud, you follow the fire, and you go to the very edge of the sea and you face the sea. And what the Lord has done is led them directly into a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. There's, there's nowhere to go but back. There's nothing that they can do. And he brought them there on purpose and for a purpose. And so I wonder, I know in my life, I've experienced many times where I believed with all my heart that the Lord had led me to a cul-de-sac, that the Lord had led me to a dead end. And I thought, Lord, you, you had to be confused here. I mean, you have to imagine the Israelites are thinking, Lord, you're a little bit crazy. All right. We, you already took us the longest way around. I mean, the road to by Philistia was just right there. I mean, maybe the Lord doesn't know the land outside of Egypt all that well. You know, I mean, he, he did all these plagues and, and everything seemed like he was in control in Egypt. But now that we're outside of Egypt, maybe he doesn't know where we're going. And they're just going in circles. And, and then as they're going in circles, he says, turn around. 
and go back this way. Uh, okay. Okay. Now I want you to go. All right. Belzephon. All right. Migdal. All right. The sea. Okay. Pihaharoth. Um, <laughs> well, we're camping. This is great. I don't, I don't know where to go I, in my life. Specifically, I felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry when I was like 15 years old. I quit playing football and I decided I'm going to go be an intern working with our student ministry at First Baptist in Pleasant Grove. I, I knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry. I just knew I felt led by the spirit in that direction. And then when I was 16, I felt in, in just this incredible impression that I knew I was supposed to be a missionary. I'm supposed to go and be a missionary. I learned Spanish and I went to Guadalajara, Mexico. And, and it just stuck. It just worked out okay. And I could speak it pretty well. And so when I went to college, knowing that God is definitely going to make me a missionary and he's definitely going to send me to Central and South America, uh, I learned Spanish and made it my major in college. So I majored in Spanish with a minor in world religions. All right. So there, there we go. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. And now I'm supposed to go to seminary and I go to seminary and we go to Honduras. And Jessica and I spend a summer in Honduras working at this orphanage. And we are just convinced when we leave this orphanage, God is leading us to give everything up and go live at that orphanage and work with those 600 some odd kids for the rest of our lives. We knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's where God was leading us. And then all of a sudden, all the, all the management turned over in the orphanage and we didn't know anybody that worked there anymore. And then I started having problems with my gallbladder and problems with my GI stuff. And then Jessica had Graves disease and so her thyroid was all jacked up. So the International Mission Board at that time was taking missionaries off the field. And we had some just minor health concerns, but any health concerns put you way off the list. So they didn't want us in the International Mission Board. They didn't want us over there at the orphanage. And every missionary door we looked at got slammed in our face over and over again. And I thought, <laughs> there's the Red Sea. Uh, there's uh, the wilderness. Nothing. Just a, a vacant wilderness. We'll go this way. Uh, <laughs> wilderness. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, Lord. Uh, hey, by the way, Pharaoh's army's on the way in. We got bills to pay. We got things we got to do. We got to know where we're supposed to go. But I was at a dead end. I was at a cul-de-sac. And God had led me there on purpose. Now, we don't always know what God's purpose is. But I promise you, every time that you find yourself at a dead end, you find yourself in a cul-de-sac, you find yourself in a very challenging and difficult season of life, let it be a comforting thought that God brought you there on purpose. It's not by accident that you happen to be in this very challenging, very trying season of life. It's not by accident that it looks like there's nowhere else to go. God either allowed you to get there or orchestrated it specifically to put you there. And you know, this same thing is true whether it's the best season of life you've ever had. It can be the worst days of your life or the best days of your life. God put you there on purpose and for a purpose. When we find ourselves in the midst of a cul-de-sac, we've got to remember four principles. We are in that cul-de-sac. We are at that dead end. We are going through that season of trial and tribulation by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, and for His timing. We are in that season by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, and for His timing. God intentionally made Israel look like they were going in circles so that Pharaoh would think they're lost. 
They don't know where they're going. They're wandering. They're helpless. It's our chance to get them back. They haven't made it too far away. Rally up the soldiers and let's go get them. If God had just led them by the way of the Philistines and then defeated the Philistine army and then moved on, Pharaoh and all his army still survives and continues to thrive in Egypt. Now, all the plagues really hurt him economically, but they they could have just rebuilt. His army would have been the same and Pharaoh would have escaped more or less unscathed except for losing his firstborn child. But God said, no, 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 no. I'm not done with Pharaoh yet. So he intentionally makes them wander in a circle so that Pharaoh gets the bright idea as his spies come back to say, let's go get them. And that's why in verse 4 he says, I'm going to get glory over Pharaoh. I'm not done with Pharaoh yet. That's why it's of the utmost importance that you follow these directions and go exactly where I'm telling you to go. Because I have an appointment with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. It is by God's appointment. Don't you worry about the appointment that I have with Pharaoh, says the Lord, because I'm going to keep you. You're in his keeping. I'm training you up on how to trust me. And so we're under his training. And I want you to wait here until I divide the Red Sea in his timing. Now, folks, there's some scholars out there that want to argue that this miracle of parting the Red Sea is not as miraculous as what we would like to think. They want to argue that the Hebrew phrase yam soup is actually referring to soup being a word that's very similar to the word in Egyptian for papyrus. So they think that this was the papyrus marsh, not the Red Sea. And they try and make these linguistic hula hoops and jumps to make that happen. But I want to assure you that what the Bible is talking about is the Red Sea, the ocean, the sea that juts up the two fingers that stick into that peninsula. They went to an enormous body of water. But some people would tell you that this was a a lake, a marshy area where the papyrus reeds could grow up. And really all that happened is, is that the Lord caused a wind to blow and it kind of, it kind of blew some of the water away so that they could go through the marsh and, and really Pharaoh's army got stuck in the marshes. That's not true. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says they went up to the Red Sea and it's a, it's like an ocean in front of them. It's like standing before the Gulf of Mexico and you got nowhere to go. It's not some wimpy lake, some marshy area where you harvest papyrus. This is a huge ocean. And they walked through on dry, dry as a desert. Did you catch that in what Jake read for us earlier this morning? It was dry as a desert. In other passages in the Psalms, it tells us that the waters were congealed. He didn't just go whoosh and a wind just held them as waters. They like turned to jello. So there's these two big mounds of jello and perfectly dry ground. Now, we don't have any idea what perfectly dry ground feels like at this point in Covington County. But I, I can assure you, it wasn't like what our ground is like right now. Our kids played soccer yesterday, and it was like, whoop, every step. You know, that sod, it's just got so much water, and it just slips out from under them. It wasn't even like that. It wasn't mud. It was dry as a bone, as though there had never been a drop of water hit that particular path through the middle of the Red Sea. And God parts it, but he brings them there and makes them wait so that he can do that. And people want to deny that these incredible, miraculous things happened, but it's true. It happened, but they had to wait on the Lord to show up and move. And then they even probably started questioning, like I've questioned before, are you, God, did I really understand this right? Did you really lead me here? Is this really what you were wanting me to do? 
And you might be thinking, like I think, man, it sure would be nice to have a, a pillar of cloud. Sure would be nice to have a pillar of fire. Sure would be nice for God to speak to a Moses in my life that says, hey, I want you to turn around, go back and camp at Pi-Hathroth, by Migdal at the sea. All the, uh, I, it would be really nice to have that kind of specificity in the instructions. But I want to remind us that everywhere in the New Testament, we are told that God leads us by his Holy Spirit. It's not like he led us in one century and now he's not leading us. His spirit, if we believe in Jesus, is inside of us. If we are a child of God, he dwells within us and leads us where he wants us to go. So let's stay with me. There's a lot of scripture we're going to run through, but I want you to bear with me. This is extremely important. Listen up to this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Watch on the screen. Follow along. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, this is Beautiful to know that the Spirit dwells in us. This is one of the passages that coins the phrase asking Jesus into our hearts. To know that Christ dwells in our hearts only through faith in Him. It's not like in the Old Testament they had a cloud and a fire and we got nothing. We got Jesus. We've got the Holy Spirit in us, directing us, helping us to understand the depths and the heights and the breadth and the width of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. He's not left us orphaned. He's shown us where to go and what to do. And He leads us daily by His Spirit. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We've talked about this before. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we trust in Him and say, I want you to be my Savior and Lord, there is a seal placed upon us and the Holy Spirit enters into our being and the Holy Spirit is that seal. But notice the first half of this verse. It's so essential into understanding why sometimes we feel like the Lord is not leading us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, God doesn't treat us like we're a video game. It's not like he's moving the controller or the joystick. And when he says jump, we got to do everything that he says. And he's forcing us to go where he wants us to go. God said go this way. God gave us a free will and His Spirit leads us and nudges us and pulls us and tugs at us. But we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit by saying, Nah, I like this way. I think I'm going to go this way. All of the Israelites had the same opportunity. Now, we don't have any record of anybody not doing that. But when Moses said, Hey, you see that really weird pillar of cloud that like shouldn't be there? God said, Follow that. They all had the opportunity to go, We'll go this way. The end of that Philistine road, it's, it's really easy. We'll just go by the Philistines. And then all of a sudden at nighttime when there's just random pillar of fire, they still had the opportunity to go, 
Ah, that's just some kind of weird something going on over there. We'll, We'll go this way. And we do this. Other people in Scripture did this. Remember Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. It says Tarshish like three or four times in that passage because Tarshish is the edge of the world. It's the complete opposite direction of where God told Jonah to go. We still have the ability today to grieve the Holy Spirit by not following the lead of the Lord. He gives us this peace. When decisions need to be made. Have have you ever experienced that? Have you ever said, Lord, I I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And and I need confirmation from you about what decision is the right decision. What house should I buy? Who should I marry? What should we do about where our kids go to school? Where should we live? What job should we take? What what do I do about this history class or this math class? What's my major in college? What what am I going to do with my life? Who should my friends be? And you just think all of these decisions, no way God's paying attention to all of them. But he is. And when you reach out to him and say, Lord, show me, would you just give me peace about what you want me to do? I've experienced this many times in my life. But when I went to Sanford, I toured a bunch of other colleges. I just knew I'd ask the Lord, let me know. Just let me know. And I don't want to put too much stock in like your feelings and all of that. I mean, we got to tie it back to the word of the Lord. But I asked the Lord for a peace. When it was time and what, what I was supposed to do, I set foot on Sanford's campus and, and it felt different than every other college that I went to. There was, a, there was a peace, there was a rest in my soul that I knew that's where I was supposed to go. Little did I know that was another cul-de-sac. And God led me there on purpose. I had some incredible and godly men as professors in my undergraduate time at Sanford. But as I did my world religions minor, there were plenty of the religious department professors that I came in contact with. And folks, that was some of the hardest times in my life as far as my faith is concerned. These guys were trying to tell me things about the Bible that I knew were not true. These were guys that said, well, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are right, but there's a lot of things that you've got to judge for yourself whether they were right or wrong. They didn't look at this word as the perfect and inerrant word of God. They looked at it as though, well, it's probably had a lot of mistakes compile over the years. So you've got to weed through that. There were probably a bunch of people that made a bunch of errors as they copied it down. And, and you've got to weed through all of that. You know, I went home every night thinking that this all, it's, all, it's all fake. It's all a fraud. That everything I've built my life on, everything they've taught me in Sunday school, none of this is real. They know all about these Hebrew words, and, and I had to make a choice. Am I going to stick with this faith and dig in and find out how wrong they were and how true the faith really is and how accurate and dependable the Bible really is? Or am I just going to believe what they say and give up? I know that God led me to that place on purpose. It was by his appointment. It was in his timing. It was under his training. He was training me up so that I would be ready to defend his word when the same arguments came at me later from people who were antagonistic towards God's word. Folks, I grew more in my faith in those four years than any other time in my life. 
Because I had to go home and I had to make it real for myself. And nobody had ever made me do that before. But in the midst of it, I was in a cul-de-sac. I was at a dead end. And I thought, Lord, I know you led me here on purpose. I know that you put me here. I remember that feeling when I stepped on this campus. So what are you doing? But it's our job to follow the lead of the Spirit and trust the Lord. Everything that goes on in our lives, it's either directly appointed by the Lord, directly orchestrated by His hand, or He allows us to fall into it, like Jonah. Jonah was sure in a cul-de-sac in the middle of that fish, right? We talked about it before. There's only two ways out of that fish. You either get digested and go out the back end, or you beg the Lord for forgiveness and get burped out the front end. Folks, that's a cul-de-sac. All right, there's only two options. And Jonah said, you know what, Nineveh doesn't sound so bad anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I really think I'd love to go and preach in Nineveh, Lord. Would you forgive me and let me out of this fish and I'll, I'll go preach in Nineveh. You see, sometimes God is disciplining us in our trials and in our tribulations. Sometimes He's growing us. Sometimes the difficulty is so that we learn our lesson. And He'll allow us to grieve the Spirit. He'll allow us to go the wrong way. He'll allow us to head out towards Tarshish. But don't miss that everybody else in the story of Jonah acts more godly than Jonah does. And God has to really bring the smackdown on Jonah. And so, Jonah finally changes his tune. But let's, let's get back to what we hear in the New Testament. The 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Folks, over and over again, the spirit is in your heart to lead you if you love Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. There is a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Before we read verse 27, notice that we have a benefit that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that the Israelites following the cloud and the fire did not have. They had to believe that Christ would come by faith, but we have the mystery revealed. So when you sit there and think, boy, I sure wish I had that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. How come they had it so much better in the Old Testament? How come God would talk to them directly? Hello? He talks directly in this book that they didn't have. That they didn't even know to read if they did have. That most of them didn't have the ability to read even if they had a papyrus scroll that had it on there. This is infinitely better than any pillar of cloud or pillar of fire. This is God's inspired Word. His Holy Spirit will lead you by this Word. So don't sit there and think, well, I just can't do it. I just need cloud. If Lord just go, He's going to have to show up in fire, He's going to have to burn something up in front of me and go, this way, not that way. Do we think that if that happens, we really would go, oh, okay, I'll go this way. Every time? No, we would still be like Jonah. We'd still go, well, that looks like a good way. And I mean, the fire blew up over there, but I'll just go this way anyway. I would. That's me. We're prone to wander, but that spirit is in our heart and God has revealed to us all that we need to know. Verse 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Christ in us. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us, the very hope of glory, leading us along. 